welcome to the fourth episode of 12 Items or Less. I'm Marnie Dollybacker, Director of Youth and Family at First Lutheran Church, and this podcast invites some amazing people in to share a little about their lives and their faith. And this week we have Judy Ryan. Welcome, Judy. Oh, thank you, Marnie. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. There's much I don't know about you, and so I'm looking forward to hearing um, all about it. So my first question is just, will you tell us a little bit about your family and your life? You know, I grew up as a doctor's daughter in Vermilion, South Dakota. My mom was a nurse. Um, We lived in the environment of trying to care for people in uh, the plains before things were very well developed. And then uh, when I was not quite seven, we started into the World War. Okay. And my father was an only child. His father had brothers in Sweden, but his mother had been an only child. And Dad, we listened. I can still remember lying on the living room floor and listening to the news in the big radio that was above our heads. And Dad could speak fluent German. um, And he listened to Hitler. And he said, we're going to have a world war. And so I can still also remember that's exactly where we were when Pearl Harbor was struck. And within weeks, my father had volunteered to enter the military. And so he went to uh, the uh, Camp Crowder, which is no longer there in Neosho, Missouri, and spent two years doing surgery on wounded veterans who were returning from the war. And mom and my little brother, myself, drove down to Army housing along with all the new recruits going into the war. Uh, We were the only civilians on the train at the time, I can still remember. So we were there for two years. And then on my father's birthday, April 11th, 1944, just after VE Day, he was given 24 hours notice to report to the Japanese theater of war. Huh. My mom didn't drive. She, We had no idea. I can still remember Carl crying, just uh, almost couldn't stop him. And Dad kept saying, now there's, we'll be fine, there's, and assuring us. But he was packing to take his things overseas, his uniforms and all. And we thought, oh, we just had to send something with him, and we put some Easter eggs in his Mm. suitcase, which he did not receive until 12 weeks later (laughs) on an island, all rotten and had to replace (laughs) all of his (laughs) uniform things. (laughs) Oh, they were actual Easter eggs. They were real Easter eggs. Oh, dear. (laughs) So... So uh, I think some of those early years in the South, uh, being kind of branded as the Army brats, the towns didn't really want us around. Mm. The military kind of seemed to be uh, making their lives feel more anxious. And uh, so we went to school. I can still remember going to school that was a Missouri Synod after-school program 
four children as part of the regular school year. And uh, it was, I think those kind of circumstances are kind of good to think about out loud because they really have colored what my life has been like mm -hmm. since that time. Yeah. So we were exposed to lots of diversity. We were exposed to lots of drama. Uh, and it was a dramatic time. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot more drinking in the military. Mm. I would suppose it might have been true throughout, but it was also true because it, as of anxiety. And it also changed and challenged family units and uh, the kind of expression of drama within in our lives. But it was also a time of deep faith in each other and great opportunity and almost demand to understand what was going on in the larger world around us. Right. Wow. That's incredible. And your memory seems so vivid about it. It is. Yeah. It is. Huh. <laughs> and so then you grew, did you go, were you down in the South for all through high school? and? No, we came back to okay. Vermilion. And they gave us a young sergeant who could use the vacation time, and he drove us home, and we went back to Willow Street in Vermilion, South Dakota, within sight of USD. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And so then what about, what did you do for school uh, following graduation? I've graduated from several different layers of school, uh -huh. kind of over a lifetime. Um, we, I was in, um, I think I had been in kindergarten before we left. I was in second grade, I believe, when we t returned. Um, and so we, I was in grade school in Vermilion, South okay. Dakota, and then through high school there. Went on from Vermilion High. Um, had, no kidding, uh, a total scholarship to be able to attend Case Western Reserve in journalism. And I can still remember a big, big person in my life from a faith perspective was Reverend David Preuss. We were the first uh, assignment that he had when he entered the active ministry. Okay. And I was his secretary from the time that I was 14 years old. We broke several mimeographs <laughs> together. <laughs> um, he continues and was a, and he and Anne were very dear friends of my parents in Vermilion. And I think both have said in all these subsequent years, they had never experienced so many dramatic incidences that were somehow faith related yeah. except in Vermilion. And I think in many ways when it's a college town, all sorts of resources are pulled in from all over the world, really, mm -hmm. literally, even at that time. And um, so it was, it was a, uh, again, kind of a dramatic part of our lives. However, Dave decided, along with Anne, that they would take three of us to all of the church-related colleges that were in the Upper Northwest. And uh, so we visited all of them. Dave's father had just passed away. He had been president at Luther at that time. Uh, we went 
to all of them. My father and Dave had a very vigorous argument that I can still remember listening to <laughs> from upstairs, that how expensive it would be to go to a private college, et cetera, et cetera, especially since I had the scholarship. And uh, as a result, however, just was really impressed by St. Olaf College, and it was because of their existent nursing program. Uh-huh. So I was I was admitted to St. Olaf. We were the third nursing program, uh, the third year of that particular program, and graduated then from from there in 1958, all those years ago, <laughs> and then went on to go into public health instead of hospital nursing had always been interested in policy and care of the community and how the community related to the the, the church, the hospital, whatever it was. Sure. And uh, then went on to get a master's, not a master's, I sought first public health certification at the University of Minnesota, went from there to uh, out into the field in St. Paul, Worked inner city from the beginning, mm. worked with very diverse populations from the beginning, and um, then was invited to, uh, well, went down to a residency that my first husband had. I had been married for 16 years. Finally, I was the basic support of our family unit during that time. Uh-huh. We adopted the two children through LSS when they were three weeks old each. And uh, finally, it became that our lives just moved into such separate directions. My husband had never attended college. He was very interested in building a business somehow with friends. I tried to invest in that, and I was the, the bread and butter at home. And after 16 years, finally, decided that, um, I just had to be prepared to support the children. And uh, so when the kids were just teeny tiny, I really became a separated single parent and went back to uh, to work with St. Mary's Junior College, who h- were on a great big governmental grant to do post-graduate uh, education in leadership. And oh. they asked me if I would put that program together. And so when I was there, Carol Peterson, who later became VP at SDSU, uh, was the first nurse, I think, that was ever an academic VP. Uh-huh. Um, and she just insisted that that I needed to get myself back to a doctoral program. And I was lucky enough to receive a full Bush Fellowship, bring the kids up to Minneapolis, work and finished the doctoral program in that way in hospital and healthcare administration. And uh, from that point, went on to Mayo Clinic to be director of nursing education, and from that point on to become the executive director of the American Nurses Association in Kansas City. Wow. And then went from there to the... uh, when ANA decided to move to Washington, D.C., we decided we just did not want to have our junior in high school finish up his senior year in the district. And 
we did decide we needed to move, and we did. We went to Lutheran General Healthcare System in Chicago. I'd had a lot of international experience at ANA because two of us represented this country's nurses for almost those eight years I was there internationally. Mm. And uh, so when that was the case, we um, ended up in, in Chicago as directing the quality and spiritual and health-related programs that were community-based. And then from there, when that organization merged with the UCC churches, served on the, the committee that was supposed to decide how this merger was going to work. And uh, what we missed was the fact that one of the partners was really a hospital acquisition company, while we had been devoted to uh, theory of care for the whole family unit across the lifespan. And uh, finally just decided it wasn't going to fit for me, and so moved into an executive outpatient program and uh, placement, not patient. And uh, <laughs> we uh, went, were then invited to the University of Iowa to be director of all the clinical services at University of Iowa and served with a team of five in that role. And there was reached by Good Samaritan to please insist that at least I talk with the search committee about coming to Good Samaritan here in Sioux Falls. Mm. And uh, I said no three different times. The person showed up at <coughs> the place where we were having breakfast. At, I was on the board at St. Olaf College at that time and said, at least you could talk to me. <laughs> and there the story began, and I came to be to take Mark Jerstead's presidency. Wow. So it was, uh, it was a, long, a long career. Um, you know, I'll be 84 years old this year. <laughs> and so it's... Uh, didn't mean to take up quite so much time. No, it's but so you fascinating. Asked. I'm like, Judy should have her own <laughs> podcast. Like, Judy, you were a, a pioneer in so many ways, like doing all of that. I mean, literally kind of pioneering because you were moving all over the place and and doing it as a single parent. And I mean, it's just in, you have an incredible story. Oh, by the way, married and oh, the in the most sort of God prescribed way to Gerald Ryan, who had been there as an anchor to the buildings that surrounded most of those places where I had worked. And we honestly had been friends. And when his separation and his marriage had come around, mine did just almost at the same time. And we took a number of years to decide that we were ever going to marry again, but, well, not a number of years, <laughs> a couple of years, I guess. And so we were married for 38 years before his death. Uh -huh. then. And we retired from here. We retired from, from Good Samaritan to Key West and to the very top of the Rocky Mountains and where we had eight acres, uh, 9,300 feet up. So we went wow. from... Eight feet above <laughs> sea level to 9,300 <laughs> feet twice a year. <laughs> so, I mean, there was an idyllic opportunity to 
come together as family all the way around and uh, really fell in love for the first time and forever. So oh, that's wonderful. Um, and so, and then obviously you ended up coming back here to Sioux Falls, mm-hmm. uh, and joining First Lutheran and you've been a part of First Lutheran for about how long now do you think? I think we joined in 10. Okay. We, when we lived here in Sioux Falls, we lived right behind the old Gloria Day. And so that's where we belonged. Okay. But when in that time coming to some events like the bazaar discovered that Jim Christofferson Mm-hmm. and his wife, and all oh, many, many members of Rocky's family <laughs> had been in the, at Augsburg College at the same time. Okay. And uh, it just seemed to be the natural draw. Yeah, felt like home. And it, it really did. And I think because I'd spent so many of those years in kind of the management levels of those organizations in which I was involved, um, it just seemed like a natural fit as a, a big inner city church. Sure. And can you share um, some of the ways that you're involved around uh, the place of First Lutheran? I think probably the most stellar is the one that um, was invited to help take a look at some of the papers that were being derived when the church was thinking about its strategic future, uh-huh. and the whole process of uh, first and foremost Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and I was asked when I still lived in Florida. It was after Rocky's death then, um, just to help take a look at some of those documents as they were evolving. And Dale Jar and I were both asked to do that. We didn't know each other, but then I did express a a prayer after my experience in Key West, because the Lutheran Church had really devolved in Key West, the ELCA, a very strong Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod presence. Um, I I attended a uh, Methodist church and also became fellow artist friend with the rector of the uh, Catholic Church in Key West at the time it was becoming a basilica. And just became very impressed with the importance of having prayer ongoing during any kind of thinking together process in that we thought about this of needing to purposefully be still and in God's presence as we were moving toward the work of the church. So we started when um, Pastor Peter was here, who uh-huh. again was part of the family, both sides, believe it or not, yep, for Christofferson's and, and uh, but also that uh, Rocky's whole family had been directly involved with them, even as boys. So I, uh, when Peter pulled together a group who building on Donna Johnson and Charlotte's ongoing prayer for the church itself, we began to meet with Peter then. And honestly, out of those opportunities to sit down together as people of faith in an atmosphere in which there was every intent to share truth and do it with love, 
it just turned out to be an amazing experience. And that group has met together ever since then. Mm -hmm. It has been whittled down to about five of us who have been continual members. And there honestly is opportunity for that process to grow. Mm -hmm. But what we've tried to do in the middle of that, um, I think it was Jim Swoboda who said, um, you know, we need to introduce some kind of an office of prayer to the work in which we're engaged so we don't just meet and talk together. Mm -hmm. And so we began working with thinking about what was our purpose. I'm going to block on this one, but it was a which verse from Ephesians, Second Ephesians 6, I think, as kind of our what we hoped might be the letterhead. And we were also really, really, and boy, Donna Johnson gave leadership to this, keeping minutes of what we were doing so yeah. that we didn't lose what had happened. Um, then we moved to the use of a prayer that is uh, published in a series of books called Seeking God's uh, uh, books for those seeking for a walk with God, but I can't quite, I should remember the title better. Anyway, it became a real commitment to sitting down purposefully in God's presence, and we moved from one of the corner offices to the chapel mm -hmm. and uh, have met there every Tuesday morning, or, and before that it was Tuesday evening right. since that work first began. Hmm. That's awesome. And you're also involved in the choir? I sang in the choir, which was a wonderful experience. Um, I just, I've had a voice that other people have told me is very good over my lifetime, but I've never had time to do it except in high school. Uh -huh. And so I wasn't going to. That was not to be added to my, <laughs> but I sat in front of uh, Ken one day. Ken Kessinger? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <coughs> took hold of me after that service by the arm. I did not know him. And he said, you are going to join the choir. <laughs> I, I have sung there for, I forget, at 60, what is it? It was 80 years. Can't the, be, maybe. The choir? Yes. He, oh. Ask oh, him. Oh, choir sometime. has sung, or Kenny has Kenny sung? Kenny has sung in yes, the choir that's probably for true. That, many, uh, that many years. <laughs> So at any rate, I came, and that was just as Zachary was beginning to, and Paul were beginning to try to put together the change they'd been charged to manage, and uh, loved every minute of it, and would still love to do it. I simply can't do it physically anymore, because my voice sure. is, is well, almost 84 years <laughs> old, and on top of it, so is the demand to climb the, the stairs, stairs yeah. as a part of and multiple services right so but i loved it and i think the choir's work and the work of this church as a central city church to bring the seriousness to worship that we have the capacity to do with the beautiful altar and the way in which the building is constructed, uh, the interests of the community around us is is uh, 
it's almost Catholic in its mystery, yeah. except it's not Catholic in the way that it has sometimes been criticized as controlling. <laughs> and and I think some of the planning that went on to explore and be active, and so many of these things we're now doing, the youth and children, the, the, um, <laughs> the work with the schools, the work with the poor, that I, I don't ever come in this front door by the statue of Christ on our front bench without a tear. And, uh, and I've come twice when the police have been here and where the very poor or those in very need have been drawn by us being here in the center of the city. Those are tough roles yeah. and for which I just believe that. I believe that without God's presence with us in this, we would not be where we are today. Hmm. And having the depth of discussions that we have, I pray that we listen to the, the discussions around us which say, don't become complacent in our own grasping of the importance of our baptism and our understanding that we are prepared by God to serve but that we somehow also keep in mind the mystery of the greater role that the church is being asked to play in this world right now and how 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 we do that better because I think we're not doing it as well as we can. And I don't mean just First Lutheran. Sure. I really mean the church broad. Right. And somehow... The more I read scripture and the more I think about, in fact, it just happened yesterday when the scripture <laughs> was focused on our readings for this week. Get out of bed, you sleepyheads. <laughs> I mean, for Pete's sake. The, and then you listen to the debates in our election. You look at the news that relates to wars and rumors of wars across our earth. You look at the creation deteriorating because of man's failing to mm -hmm. manage it as God has granted us opportunity to do. So all of that drives me to say um, there's more. There's We can't think dualistically. We and they, this denomination and the other, yeah. we and the world, this country and the other, we have to think about what Christ would have us live like and then God's God's world is already in our midst. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you. Clearly, faith has been a, a major part of your life, and it's just sort of woven in throughout your life, it appears. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I believe I understand that you are also an artist um, and a painter, uh, maybe other mediums as well. But I'd be curious to hear a little bit about that and also how perhaps your faith might play into that. One way in which uh, it played very directly, I had not done things in art except to get an F in, in, uh, <laughs> at St. Olaf in one art <laughs> class because I got the perspective question wrong. <laughs> but but um, did start to learn to paint in my retirement in Key West 
with just a wonderful teacher that many of the persons who were already selling things in galleries had joined those classes. And so we painted for four hours every Thursday morning for mm. all the years that I was down there, almost almost uh, 20. And uh, just learned to love it. And uh, so and I've done all that in acrylics. And, and when I would come back here, I did join the uh, South Dakota Masterworks questions and have gotten honorable mention and even third prize one time. So it was I was able to do it well enough to have it pass muster. Um, <laughs> most recently, two 92-year-old fellow residents at Prairie Creek have told me that in order to keep me from focusing on so many serious, great, big, huge, <laughs> worldwide things that I, that I can't really change myself, uh, They've asked me to become involved with them in learning about um, stained glass. Ah. So now I have cuts all over my fingers. I've <laughs> 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 finished my two first projects, and oh boy, are they ever amateurish. Oh. And on Monday, I'm going to have to participate with them in cutting a piece of glass that I have purchased that is the size of this table. Oh my. And making it fit into. A frame. Oh, that's so, so cool. Neat. <laughs> I wish I was more artistic. Maybe someday. <laughs> um, so, Judy, could you just share one of your favorite Bible verses or a Bible story um, and why you like it so much? Boy, I wish it's in Second Kings and it is Solomon's time with God in which he... God says that he will give him whatever he asks for as David's son. And that has been the thing that even in my archives at Good Samaritan characterizes my life plan for the rest of it is the the word kavod, K-A-V-O-D, is the Hebrew translation, or is the Hebrew that we translate as wisdom. And I just think it how how we think deeply enough and shallowly enough and enough about our fellow human beings that we do so with with wisdom is mm. I think one of the most important for me. Yes. Hmm. Thank you. Um I I had Googled you before this uh, little sit down mm -hmm. and that word you did that in a used that kavood. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh -huh. In another uh, little interview that you did. And I was so taken with it. It was in my questions and you already brought it up. You're so good. Oh, for uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was really, it was kind of powerful for me as having um, now like, uh, had aging parents and both of them have mm -hmm. died but like talking about sort of I think it talked about the time between this world and the next mm -hmm. and just I thought you know I can remember visiting with my mom and and as she was aging thinking like she was feeling like well I, I'm all done I don't have anything left to offer and I would say yes you still do like you know your your light shines in the world and we would talk about things like that and I just thought that was a powerful sort of way to explain it with that word so that was very cool. I, I love that. We can hmm. certainly talk more about that too. 
But perhaps that would even tie into um, my next question, which is, um, what do you know about Jesus? I know that he is present with me. The more I look back over the lifetime that I shared with you, the more I push inappropriately for thinking there's more I could do or should do about some things, the more I experience the presence of Christ with me, mm. truly, mm -hmm. um, in ways I'd never have thought about before, but have just become very real. And when Parkridge Center for Health, Faith, and Ethics years ago, and we won't go into the whole background of that, <laughs> but did a whole study of all the world's religions about the purpose of aging and determined that it was to have time for reflection and prayer that helped us become closer with our God. Hmm. Wonderful. Um, and so uh, back to that word kav kavud, how, where did you learn that word or how did you hear it? Oh, it was at the University of Iowa and uh, the Hebrew uh, word was used by the rabbi who was in charge of their programs at the University of Iowa and he used it to describe philanthropy. And I was so struck by that that uh, I asked to meet with him and to talk about it. And he said it was the word. It was what Solomon had asked of God. And it really could be translated as meaning heavy thoughts. Thinking when you are here in this world, God's creation, and where God is in his world within this creation mm. and that it is within our creation already. How do we think heavily enough to keep this world in ongoing conversation with the other? Mm -hmm. And uh, he also said it was the first and only place in the Hebrew texts in which God has said he was pleased with what someone asked for. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm very taken by that word. I'll have to explore it some more. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're nearing the end of, our, of, my, of my questions, but um, one of my final questions is, um, what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, I would, I would hope to be remembered as a faithful friend, um, a loving mother, um, and someone who had really tried to use life's experience to serve others. Hmm. Lovely. And so um, the name of our podcast is 12 Items or Less, which, <laughs> of course, is from the grocery store, <laughs> of which I feel a little bit like I'm always counting the person in front of me to see if they are truly standing by the 12 <laughs> Items or Less. And, and, I, and, I, and I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
it's really okay. I offer, I also offer forgiveness. Uh, <laughs> but so I try to ask um, a food sort of grocery related question to end the podcast. And so my question for you today is, do you have a go-to breakfast item? Huh. <laughs> Every morning at breakfast, and I did it again this morning, even when it was minus 11, <laughs> is I have a carnation instant breakfast, a boiled egg, a banana or some other fresh fruit, and bran flakes, plus a cup of coffee and a good-sized glass of water. Excellent. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. People really do have like a routine for their breakfasts, myself included. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Judy, for joining us. Um, uh, it's just simply fascinating to listen to you. We could sit here all day, I think. Um, but we thank you all listeners as well for joining us for this episode of 12 Items or Less on the First Lutheran Podcast. Be sure and join us next we time. We are waiting. We are walking.